You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. I'm going to open with rereading what was read uh, originally to open the service this morning. It's from Isaiah, and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting, everybody say sitting, upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth, notice the train fills the temple, but the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And... I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send to me. Would you continue to listen to the readings of the Lord? A reading from the book of 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain... For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And he was buried, that he was raised, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach to you, and so you believed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, 
Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You hear echoes of Isaiah there. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The word of the Lord. We're beginning a series called Members Who Remember. Members who remember. And this is preparation for the season of Lent that is coming in a couple of weeks. Everybody's favorite season of fasting, those things that you love so much. Lent seems to come at the exact right time after we've overly indulged in so many festivities from Thanksgiving to Christmas to New Year's to all of our resolutions and then our quick resolution failures. It's not bad to quickly enter a season of cleansing at that point. But why? Why do we want to prepare for Lent? Because we need to know, as individuals and a church, what is our assignment? How do we prepare for that assignment? And what are the possibilities within that assignment for us, for the world, for those around us? What are the possibilities that God has written into your life for other people? I want every one of you to know that what God is doing in your life is making other possibilities for the lives of other people. We can step out of the obsession with our own self for a moment and realize what God is working into your life is making possibilities possible for people you know and don't know right now. What he's doing, what you're going through, is not just about your survival, as Stephanie so eloquently said. It's not just about you and your survival. It is about what God is working in you is also congruent and consistent with what God wants you to bring in terms of deliverance into somebody else's life. The storm you're going through is connected to the storm of somebody else's life that you will be uniquely qualified to handle. So it's not just about getting through it for ourselves. It's about getting through it for ourselves, for other people. Members of the church. Why do we become members of a church? Because we are the community of the baptized. When we are baptized in the River Jordan with Jesus, that happens miraculously when we're baptized in any of our churches. Or if you look at these three stories we just read, whether it's the coal touching somebody's lips, whether it's the gospel as proclaimed as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, or whether it's the water that Peter is hovering on in a boat that he's soon to dive into and swim to Jesus one day. Baptism is a theme in all of those stories. Baptism is our calling Baptism is our sanctification. Baptism is the outworking of everything that Jesus wants to do in our life. Baptism is our healing to bring healing to the lives of other people. Baptism makes us the greatest conspiracy theory of all the conspiracy theories. You are a walking conspiracy because you are here, and yet through the waters of baptism, you're not from around here. Your life from the future happening now and helping people remember, put back together their past with their promised future. 
This is what everyone is hoping for in every faith in all of the world that somehow our broken past would be connected to this promised future that we can all only hope for. And it is in the community of people we call the church. It is in your life that God remembers or puts back together the broken past of people's lives with his promised future, and it actually begins now. Has anybody ever experienced a healing before in their life that you say, the Lord brought this healing into my life? I'm going to ask this again next week, and I really hope there's more hands that are raised. Somebody online, type in, that's me. When we're healed, it's not just for now. The healing is the fruit that the spies brought into the wilderness that say there's a land coming where this small little healing that I got, there's a land coming where all of the healings happen. And the healing happening in my life, it's not a total healing. It's not a complete healing, but it's healing enough to let you know that there's a land coming where all the healings are going to take place. And the world will laugh at you and let them because it's unbelievable to people. It's even unbelievable to us. But as God continues to heal, our faith will rise. And we won't care if people are laughing. As a matter of fact, they'll laugh, and then one day they'll have an Isaac whose name means laughter to remind them that when they laughed, God wasn't put off by it. He said, oh, this is going to be hilarious. When the rest of your healing comes, not vengeance, but when the rest of your healing comes, we'll laugh together about it. There's so many things right now. I want to read this quote. This quote is from Willie James Jennings. He is an associate professor of systematic theology and African-American studies at Yale University School of Divinity. And he says this, if we are willing to yield to the spirit of God, God will draw us and our work of building into the building of God. But sometimes we must abandon what has been built in order to enter God's building work. And sometimes we must tear down what we have built in order to follow God in building toward life. And sometimes God can take what we have built toward death and turn it toward life. I do want to read that one more time. If we are willing to yield to the Spirit of God, God will draw us and our work of building into the building of God. But sometimes we must abandon what has been built in order to enter God's building work. And sometimes we must tear down what we have built in order to follow God in building toward life. And sometimes God can take what we have built towards death and turn it towards life. All of these things happen in the midst of the community of people we call the church. This is where building and demolition and renovation and rebuilding take place in our life. This is why it's important that we join and have, if people ask you, a relationship with the local church because the local church is the area where God uniquely works his building and rebuilding, his tearing down, his planting, his destroying, and his building back up. It's where he's doing all of it so that the world can see in the midst of a bunch of hypocrites a chance to see what's coming in Jesus when he restores all things. They're going to say things like, oh, you guys are just waiting for a unicorn to show up. It's going to be awesome when it does, though. It's going to be cooler than all the shows my daughter watches. It's going to be great. 
people have asked so many times, what is my purpose? This question has kind of haunted me because I get mad at God every time I hear somebody ask it because I think to myself, why are so many people asking this question? Why is it so elusive? Why are so many people having trouble knowing what this is, our purpose? And I've been thinking about this for years, not, not just recently, but for years, and I've come to what for me is a pretty exciting conclusion, and I hope this is the beginning of what makes your heart burn this morning. It finally hit me when somebody said to me, you're lucky, pastor, you know what your purpose is. And I was like, I do, but why don't you tell me what you think it is, because really I don't. And I was hoping they had some information for me. They said, your calling is to be a pastor, to be a husband, to be a father. That's your purpose in life. I said, no, none of those things are my purpose in life. My purpose in life we have the attention of the room. <laughs> my purpose in life is not to be a pastor. You want to know why? Because all of you could take that from me right now if you wanted to. And I wouldn't have a purpose. And if my purpose was to be a pastor, I would need to manipulate you all into staying here so that through you I could achieve my purpose. I wouldn't be able to serve you. I would have to use you. Because without you, I can't live in my purpose. I love my wife and my two amazing children. But because we live in a world where time takes from us, they could be gone. And if my purpose was to be a husband and a father, one person looks down at their phone and runs a red light, and what? My purpose is gone all of a sudden. Our purpose cannot be rooted in things that are passing away. Because as they pass away, so does our purpose. And watch, that is why people who are moving later in life are struggling the most with their purpose because the things they had it anchored in are actually passing away. That's why pastors know exactly who they are in the prime years of their ministry, but upon retirement can't figure themselves out anymore because their purpose was rooted in something that was passing away, that was meant to be handed off. So this is not my purpose. Being a husband is not my purpose. Being a father is not my purpose. Let me tell you what my purpose is. It's the same for you. Here's my purpose. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. To be baptized and brought into a community of believers. To feed on that table every Sunday. And to go into all the world and preach the gospel of the good news that Jesus is coming to restore everything that's ever gone wrong. He's going to make it right. That's my purpose. That's your purpose. My purpose, when approached faithfully, takes me through things like pastoring, like being a husband, like being a father. It takes me through seasons, things that I planned on, things that were my goals, things that I wanted to have happen. And it takes me places I never thought I'd go in a million years. Listen, I always knew I'd be a pastor. Didn't think I'd be your pastor. Didn't think I'd stand in this room. Didn't know that's what I was being prepared for. Your purpose is to be sanctified, is to be made right by God every day of this earthly life and then share that rightness with other people in a way that makes them more right. 
That is all of your purposes. Our callings, of course our callings are different. Our callings come and go. Our callings land on us like a dove. Our callings land on us for a season, and then they flutter away, and then a different calling lands on us in a different season. That happens as God wills. The dove of anointing of pastoring is on my life. The minute that dove flies away, you don't want me to be your pastor anymore. I'm just a public speaker who makes jokes sometimes and who's hilarious. <laughs> I think I'd still be hilarious. But your purpose is not what you're doing. It's who you're becoming. And no one can ever take that away from you, Salem. No one can ever snatch that from you. No circumstance, I don't know how Paul would say it, death, nor life, nor pestilence, nor famine, nor sword, nor flood, nor hurricane, nor tornado, no political outburst, no election, no racism, no nothing can take from you what you're becoming. That is your purpose. And it takes you places that you planned on going, which is amazing. And it takes you places you never thought you'd go before. But when what we do is seen as our purpose, we'll never go anywhere we didn't expect to go. We will force ourselves to go the places we always thought we should go. And live exhausted trying to maintain those realities. So, listen. I'm going to say stuff from the end now. They needed to call another boat to come over Steph because their boats were breaking up. Was there a storm? No. What was breaking up their boats? Blessing. Blessings can cause things to break up more than a storm can. Yes, sir. Blessings can tear our social networks, our, the fabric of our nets faster than any storm can. Blessings can sink a church faster than any storm can. When things go good, we lose our sense of purpose. When things are bad, we all have purpose. We fight because now things come into alignment. We know who we are when things go bad. We're people who need to survive. But when things go good, because God puts it in us to calm storms, when things go good and things are moving normally, all of a sudden we lose our sense of purpose because we thought purpose was what we do. And we can't rest, we can't Sabbath, we can't sleep, because we need to have drama. We need things to go wrong. Sometimes, and I don't know if you know anybody like this, it's certainly not you and it's definitely not me, people make drama so that they can have a sense of purpose in fixing the drama they created. People do this, believe it or not. The church, we are the place where we realize our purpose is Jesus. Pastor, what's my destiny? <laughs> the question should be, what is your alpha and your omega? And his name is Jesus. Your calling. Remember I said this, your calling flutters. The dove of your calling lands and then moves, and then a, a different kind of calling comes and goes all your whole life. Am I called to husband right now? Yes, I am. Am I called to be a father right now? Yes, I am. Am I called to be a pastor right now? Yes, I am. But is that my purpose? No, it's the location where my purpose has taken me. It's where my purpose is being played out, definitely. But my purpose never ends if those things come to an end. 
people can't rob me of it, my purpose. You can rob me of a calling, but you cannot rob me of a purpose. And if you rob me of a calling, the way that I handle that and the way that the Holy Spirit works in me when people are robbing me of things, that actually brings me closer to my purpose. How many know enemies can make you need to be like Jesus real quick, super fast? We should send them all a card and say, thank you for speeding up the process of me needing to become like Jesus. Your obnoxious attitude helped me be patient. But don't say that because then you weren't patient. But you can write it to yourself. You know how many unsent emails I have? Praise the Lord Jesus. Hopefully no one finds those emails one day. I should delete them. Mom, delete them. Insecurity, uselessness, right now in everyone, but especially the men. I have felt in my heart, in my spirit, in my bones, an insecurity beginning to plague men where they feel useless, unproductive, tired, and broken. 100% this is for women too, but I want to emphasize that when it comes to altar calls of like aggressive things, we'll see the men come. When it comes to altar calls of do you feel broken, are you struggling with your value, we tend to sit back and say, yeah, Lord, but I'm not going not gonna to go up for that. Men, I pray that your heart is burning within you, especially over the next few things that I'm going to say. In the local church, we. What happens in the local church? One, based on these three stories that we just read, Isaiah hearing the call to go and then saying, I can't. Paul or Saul hearing the call to go and saying, they're going to hate me. I persecuted the church. Don't send me. And God sends him. Peter hearing, uh, seeing Jesus in his boat and saying, depart from me. I'm an unclean person. And Jesus saying, not only am I not going to depart from you, but I'm going to send you on a journey with me. Similar stories all. And in the local church, we first realize our need for transformation. It's in the church that we realize our need for transformation. But I, I hope that this burns in your heart. Because when did Isaiah, when did Peter specifically in these stories, when did they realize their need for transformation after they were called. After they were called, Isaiah said, I can't go. I'm a man of unclean lips. Peter's like, get out of my boat. Paul, or Saul at the moment, Saul was like, I, I'm not going to go preach the gospel. I, I, tried, I, I was persecuting the church. All of them realized they were unqualified after God said, I want you to go. You know what doesn't bring a sense of unworthiness? Accusation. You know what reveals our need for transformation? God, not only God's acceptance, but his calling 
makes us realize how much transformation we need. But the glory, the comfort, is that the minute I say, I cannot pastor, I know who I am. In this church in particular, 90% of them know who I am. I cannot pastor, but the minute those words left my mouth, I realized, but wait a minute, I'm telling you this, but you already knew that, and you already called me. By the time I say I'm not worthy, I also received the revelation that, but you all, I didn't change yet, but you already called me. That grace is where I want you to live from. Point out all the reasons why you think you're not a good parent. Point out all the reasons why you don't feel like you can be used by God. Point out all the reasons why the calling that you know you have, that dove that's fluttering over your life today, that next thing that you know God has for you, you don't think you can do it. Point out all the reasons why you don't think it should be you, and then know he knew them all, and he called you first before you even realized that. He called you before you were able to name the reasons why you shouldn't be called. That's the beginning of healing from insecurity right there. Anything anybody can say about you, anything that anybody can level against you, any eye rolling that people can give the next time they hear you say, you know what, this year I'm going to get it right. And they okay, they say that every year. Every time that happens, you know that before the eye roll, before the accusation, before the condescending remark, he knew all of that and he called you first. Because he did none of those things. He looked at Paul when he was still Saul and said, I'm going to use this man. He looked at Isaiah before the coal touched his lips and said, you go speak. And Isaiah said, I can't. I have unclean lips. Then he heals his lips. But he doesn't heal Isaiah's mouth before he calls him. He calls a man with an unhealed mouth. Because that's what love does. Love gets down under your worst and says, I can still work with this. This is not a deterrent for me. In the church, we realize our need for transformation. In the church, we undergo that transformation. Has anybody just felt God just chipping away at them? Am I the only one? I mean, like, I'm like, this statue is going to be dope by the time it's done. Because I'm like, what? Can you put the chisel away for a, a week? For a day? He's like, I can't hear you. Must have been, must have been a lot of marble on this statue because he's been chiseling away for a very long time. We un church is where we undergo our transformation. Understand something: that God's net went out into our deep before we ever go out into the world's deep. It says, and every word of Scripture is so important. It says that when Jesus got into Peter's boat, he said, put out a little. Because there's some teaching that happens in the shallows. Put out a little. Peter doesn't freak out in the shallows. He hears the teaching, and he's like, cool. This is dope. This guy that everybody likes, he's in my boat. Good for business. But then he says, now go out into the deep. And that's when Peter freaks out and says, get away from me. See, 
we want to keep Jesus inches from the shore in our life. But that's why we can't reach into the deep of anybody else's life. Because until the net of Christ goes down into the deep of my life, I cannot be used by God to go into the deep of other people's lives because I'll injure them and their deep will injure me. There will be too much pressure, too much darkness, and too many sea monsters down there for me to handle at the moment until God goes down and starts swimming with some of the sea monsters in my heart and taking them to shore, catching them and getting them out of my life. Then all of a sudden I can venture out into deep myself. So we live in a world of polarization. We either got people who are trying to keep the boat docked on the shore or we got people prematurely going out into the deep without the right equipment, without the right mentality, without the right instructors, and they're dying out there. In the church is where we venture out with God from shore and mending the nets. He goes to people who are mending their nets. They're annoyed that they're mending nets because they're like, we must have some pretty bad nets because we still need to mend them and we didn't catch anything. What garbage nets did we buy, Peter? How are they broken? We didn't catch anything. Nothing went into them except the seaweed. That's probably what broke them. Jesus looks and sees a whole bunch of people who toiled all night, got nothing, and he's like, those are some clean nets. Put them back in the boat. Because he knows they're about to be filled if you're willing to go out into the deep with me. But we don't want to. We want to stay on the shore. Healing comes when we get real with ourselves and with God and just say, I don't care anymore. Throw your net into the deep in my life. Take me there. Bring me to the place where I need the deepest healings. I'll go with you. And by the way, I'm going to go with you, Jesus. For the record, when we get there, I'm going to tell you to get out of my boat and say I never should have went. Please ignore me and just keep me out there. It's like trying to pick a restaurant. That's where I want to go, yeah, until we get there. You don't anymore. It's actually not like picking around. I'm just hungry right now. I've been hungry since like 6.30 this morning. That ever happened to anybody? Just sidebar from the seriousness. You ever get to 7 a.m. and you're like, I want lunch? (sighs) And then, of course, of all days, we're not eating till 2.30. Like, what am I supposed to do when I get home from church today? Anyway, somebody pray for me. I need a lot of prayer. Nets into our deep before we can ever venture out into the world's deep. So many of us are trying to deal with deep things in our marriage, but we've never let God get deep with us. We're trying to deal with deep and complicated issues with our children, but we've never let God get deep with us or our marriage. We're trying to get deep with our friends. We're trying to dig down and find the depths of our calling in life. But we've never let God start to venture his way down from one stage of depth to another and slowly get out and work with the sea monsters and the sharks that are down there. Wherever you want God to bring you, he has to get that deep with you first. And I am saying this from experience. I can only say this for a little longer. I know I'm young, and I'm telling you from experience. The depth that God has brought me to, I now look back and say, that's why I thought you were drowning me for so many years. 
but you were just teaching me how to breathe and come up from the depths. You were teaching me how to swim down there. You were teaching me what those creatures are down there. You were showing me in me the things I would need to be working out in other people's lives one day as a pastor. You were showing them in me, and I had no idea. But now I'm here to share that with you and say, let him take you into the depths. I promise you, you don't know what he has in store for you. You don't know. It's either much better or much worse than you think it is, and both of them are why he's not going to tell you. All I can tell you is this. When you get there, you will absolutely have the grace and the depth to handle whatever it is that God puts in front of your life next and says, do this. You always will. In the local church, we realize our need for transformation. In the local church, we undergo that transformation. And in the local church, we share from our transformation. I love this. I love this. In Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he was seated in the temple, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Notice the words I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he was seated. And his tr the train of his robe filled the temple. And around him were mystical creatures that so for some reason felt like they had to cover their face. Which I want to submit to you is not a good thing. So many of us still feel like we can't really have God in our life. We can't really be used by him. We can't really face God, especially maybe face God and other people because we're ashamed and we feel like we have to hide our face. And you know what? What I just said nominally sounds really cheesy because probably every, every pastor has always said that. So many of you in this room feel like you can't be used by God because you're ashamed. Everybody has said that. But here's the reality. Functionally, we do live like that. We don't turn and face him as much as we should. And we say things like, I was just busy. I forgot. I got out of step with my devotionals. Blah, blah. But really, it's because I, that light shines on me and I don't want to see what I'll see in me. And I think he's not going to want to look at it. So the mystical creatures hide their face. But he is high and lifted up. He's sitting. And the train of his robe is filling the temple. And I grew up on a teaching that said, whenever a king went out and had a successful military conquest, they would take a patch from the king he defeated, and they would sew it to the garment of the king. And so if Jesus or, or whoever uh, Isaiah was seeing, if his, the train of his robe filled the temple, that means that his robe just had a whole bunch of patches from all the kings that he killed. You could believe that if you want to. Please never say that in my presence, because then I will need to be like Jesus and have patience and probably be quiet, which is the worst, Steve. Did you all hear Steve pray today? What? What happened? Anyway, I sat back at my desk and said, what is this train of your robe business? Why is it filling the whole temple? And I closed my eyes just to think. And I saw the woman with the issue of blood reach her hand through the crowd, 
and touched the hem of that train. And she was healed. She touches the hem of the train that didn't just fill the temple, but is the temple. And she's healed. And I thought, interesting. His train fills the temple, not because he's conquered, but because he's healed. He's got a patch for every person that reached through the crowd and touched the hem of that garment and was made whole. Not kings that he massacred, not lands that he colonized, people that reached out and touched that train and were made whole. But here's the funny thing. It says the train of his robe filled the temple, but his glory went out through all the earth. And I sat back again. And I said, God, you know, there's, there's texts in the Bible that you should take out books to learn about. There's other texts in the Bible that I think we'll learn better if we just sit back and pray. Because they're mystical, like this one. Like this one. I, I'm not too interested what Matthew Henry has to say about this one. If you've been here for a while, that's funny. If not, whatever. Google Matthew Henry. Why? Is your temple filling the temple, but your glory filling the earth? And I saw, again, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended on the church and sent us out to go heal into all the world. So first, we reach out and we touch that train that fills the temple. And then, when we're healed by it, we become a patch on that train, and when people reach out and touch us, they can be healed. His temple, his train fills the temple, and we touch it in here, and then his glory goes out there because as we leave, we don't just leave healed, we leave able to heal. We are, we are part of the fabric of the hem of Jesus' garments. We are part of the train that fills the temple whose glory goes into all the world. I'm saying this to people who are good at saying yes in church, but really you don't feel like that can actually be you. And I'm telling you, it not only can it be, it is whether you think it can be or not. Your denial of what God can do in your life does not change the potency of what God can do in your life ever. Again, I'm telling you from experience, you could be convinced that you're not good at something and God doesn't care what you're convinced about. He knows that his ability is going to work through you and it doesn't matter what you think you're good about or not. It doesn't make any bit of a difference. You are the hem of his garment because you're baptized into the local church and you are part of the body of Christ. That is what makes you different, not your ability, not what you think about yourself, not your past, and not certainly not, I think these days, more of us are not so embarrassed about our past, we're already embarrassed about our future. We, we used to, we lived in a time where everybody's like, my past, my past, my past. I don't think that's the problem anymore. I think now the problem is we are, we feel like our future's already broken. So what's the point of getting there? And God is like, here's the thing, I love you. But I don't care what you just said. <laughs> Tim, I love you. 
But I don't care that you think your past is this and your future is that. I don't care because I know who I am and I'm in you. And I'm going to be the one who works through you. And it really doesn't matter to me what you think about that. You're going to be potent whether you realize it or not. Does he want us to realize it? But is he still going to use you if you don't? Yes. Absolutely yes. The deep can only be entered into through a boat that calls other boats. If you really want to get down to healing in your life, real transformative healing in your life, no longer playing the game, but actually experiencing healing, you have to call other boats over. God will not let you be healed by yourself because then you wouldn't be like him who does everything with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He won't let you have breakthrough by yourself. He won't let you get anointed by yourself. He won't let you receive a calling by yourself. He won't let you receive the calling, execute the calling, or finally one day walk away from it for a different call. He will never let any of that happen by yourself because when God is alone, he's not by himself. Let us go down and see what building they're building. Let us make man in our image. It says, and the Lord, singular, it says the Lord came to Abraham, singular, and they said, read the words. You're in his image, which means he won't let you do anything by yourself. There's a difference between being independent, which we should be, and autonomous, which we should not be. And hear me clearly. One of the prayers I've been recently praying for all of us is that God destroys the illusion of self-sufficiency. He doesn't want you to be self-sufficient. Want to know why? Because he's not. Because he is, say it with me, Father they, he, confusing, yes, but in reality, we need God to be a bit confusing because if he fit into our understanding, he, just, he wouldn't be all that impressive. He doesn't want us to be self-sufficient, self-efficient. He wants us to need. You've heard me say this, and I'll say it all the time, even if it's not new anymore, and I'll say it as passionately as I did. Jesus had help carrying his cross not out of necessity, but out of revelation to show us that need is part of the redeemed life. It doesn't push against the redeemed life. Before we're redeemed, we're far more self-sufficient than we are after we entered a relationship with Jesus and found out the Christian life is impossible. Before I knew Jesus, I could do stuff on my own. When I finally realized who he is and who I really, I realized I can't do anything by myself anymore. I need you. I need each and every one of you to do what I'm doing right now. Who am I talking to if you're not here? Myself? Has that ever stopped me before? No, but that's not the point. When you become more ingrained in the image of Christ, you need more people around you. Not only can you do less, you want to do less by yourself. But we are so afraid of being needy because we've made needy a bad word. Need is an invitation for somebody else to enter my life. Need is an invitation to a party. 
When I realize I have needs, what I realize is God is inviting the church into my life. And I can't wait till you get there. (laughs) A life trying to avoid need will exhaust you and break you up from everything that you're connected to in your entire life. You're needy. Because God is not alone, even in his own self. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are constantly offering themselves to each other. And then we think we can live without having to need anyone to offer themselves to us. How would we possibly be more efficient on our own than God is? This is such a popular sermon, the sermon that you're going to be needy forever. Everybody wants to hear. Stephen Fierdick is going to preach this one. Whoops. John, why don't you come up here? Let's stand to our feet this morning. I don't want to say any more than what I've said. Please come up here, John. I'm sorry I said it that way. Thank you for coming up here, John. I need you right now. Please close your eyes. We're going to come to the Lord's table. And then I want to pray with anybody who feels like they need prayer. I want to hang out at the altar for a little bit today if anybody needs to hang out at the altar. And pastors say this all the time, even if there's just one. And the reason why that's not a corny thing to say is because Jesus said it himself. If I had to leave everything to go after one, I would do it, and it would be worth it. So I hope your heart has been burning. Wherever the insecurity is in your life, wherever the healing needs to be, in your life, I pray that everything Stephanie and the worship team sang, every note that John played, every prayer that Steve prayed, every announcement Maddie gave, every text that Mark and Sheena read, and every word that I've said so far in the service, I pray that your heart as an individual in your own life has been burning, and you know there's a place that God just wants to bring a little healing to. The way you see yourself, the way you value yourself, the things that you actually think you're capable of or don't think you're capable of. I want us to come to the table like this, the way we have been. And then I just want us to spend some time at the altar. If you need to sit here with the Lord and just say, continue to heal me, we just want to give you that opportunity. On the night when he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, because thanksgiving is inherent in the word Eucharist, it means great thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is when the moment that Jesus took the failure of the moment, the brokenness of the moment, and the restoration of Easter Sunday, he united them in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is when we say, I know it's bleak, but I know that weeping may endure for the night, 
and joy is going to come in the morning. And whenever we thank God for something in my life, we are bridging the gap between the moment it seems broken and the moment it will be restored. That's what thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving is how we unite that which is broken to the healing that God wants to bring. So on the night when he was betrayed, our Lord gave thanks because thanksgiving is one of the weapons he uses to fight darkness. So as a sidebar, next time one of your coworkers is nasty, just tell them that you appreciate them so much and try to do it without being sarcastic. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this meal, eat this in remembrance of me. Jesus is inviting us into a meal that makes us whole again. It remembers what has been dismembered in our life. So that when we leave here as whole people, we can help the world remember themselves. And after supper, our Lord took the cup of wine. And after he gave thanks, he said, This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to remember what you all dismember tonight, guys. That's what he's saying. He's looking at them like, man, you're going to mess things up so bad, but I'm going to remember it. As often as you come to this table, come knowing that I am remembering you. I'm putting you together every week. I'm putting you back together. I won't let you go too long before I invite my kids back over my house and say, can I, can I help pick up the pieces from this last week? We're always invited over dad's house and he always feeds us and he always does what good fathers do and heals what's been broken every week. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and this cup Everyone at home, I pray that they would feel a breeze course through whatever area they are in, and I pray that you would make this bread and this cup, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. Holy Spirit, make us realize we're meeting Jesus in the form by which he wants to be met in, a humble meal. But thank you that you're offering yourself to us again. And I pray that you would make real to us in the moment of consuming this most holy food. I pray that you would make real to us the little bit, the next thing that you want to touch and heal today. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Would you receive them and nourish on them in your hearts by faith? Would you partake with me this morning? As the worship team comes on up here and gets ready to minister a little bit more, if you just would love some prayer, if you're online and you want prayer, please say, type in, my hand is raised, and somebody is going to pray with you. 
And if you need prayer in this room, if you just want to sit in the presence of the Lord and have him just put some things back together again, would you please come to the altar? Don't worry about what time it is. Come to the altar and just spend a little bit of time with the Lord. He's going to touch your life today. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.